You're never going to let us down. Sometimes it's hard to believe, but that is the truth, that you will never let us down. Father, help us to accept that completely within us. That you won't let us down. For those who are suffering this morning, especially those in Haiti as they suffered a major earthquake this morning, help them to know that you are there and that you won't let them down. We thank you for that. We praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. For those who don't know, there was a 7.2 earthquake this morning in Haiti, affecting pretty much the whole Caribbean, so keep them in your thoughts and prayers this morning. Switching gears, I want to ask a question of you this morning. What kind of a snob are you? Now, let's be honest. We are all snobs somewhere. The question is where? Maybe you're a coffee snob. Starbucks, please, you'll never go there. Maybe a Frappuccino, but that would be about it. You get Kenyan beans. You grind them yourself. You only use purified water, and you, and you use a vacuum case, vase. No, that's not me, because I don't even know what half this terminology means. But, or maybe you're a food snob. Hummus, nine-grain bread, only the best. Or maybe you're a book snob not going to read a paperback. And, and a Kindle, that's, that's pretty much heresy. You are a hardback type of person. Or maybe you're a music snob. You only listen to good music like Switchfoot or NF. How do I know about that kind of snobbery? Because that's what you will find me listening to. Maybe yours is different. Maybe you're a car snob or a clothes snob, or your yard is a little bit snobbish. you got to have to have the lines just perfect. Or maybe you're a house snob or a vacation snob. But let's face it. We are all snobby people. But there's one kind of snobbery. I'm not even sure that's a word, but there's one kind of snobbery that none of us will admit to even though it applies to probably most of us. And that is being a people snob. You don't want to be a people snob, do you? But that's exactly what we're going to explore today as we continue our journey through the New Testament book of James. So if you brought your Bibles or your iPhones or iPads, go ahead and open them up to James chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 1, where he says, My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Just stop right there. You know, as James starts off by giving us a single headline, as Christ followers, 
as people who are modeling our lives after Jesus, we should not show favoritism. So what is favoritism? Giving preferential treatment, highlighting one person over another, valuing one person over another, treating one person better than another. The idea that someone's appearance is what matters. Many of you may have heard the story. It's almost been a decade now, but there was a, a young girl who said she was attacked by someone who threw acid on her face. But then when they started investigating it, they found out that she, in fact, threw it on her own face. When they asked her why she did it, she said that she thought a new face would solve her problems. Do we think faces really matter that much? James tends to think that we think we does. So he picks up in verse 2 and says, Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and says, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated? among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts. So now you're thinking, what's this have to do with me? I would never treat anyone like that. But James is just giving us an example of the bigger idea, which is dividing people into camps of worth and value on the basis of appearance. Even if it's just in your head that you're thinking it, but you don't actually say it. You ever done that? Have you ever looked at someone and, and done a quick judgment, whether they're rich or they're poor? Whether they're white or they're black? Whether they're well-dressed or not so well-dressed? Whether they're driving a good car or just a bad car? Whether they're pretty or not so pretty? See, there are certain judgments that we can make about people. Issues related to character, such as trustworthiness. James isn't talking about that. And there are certain people who we should honor people in positions of authority or, or people who we rightfully hold in high regard because of the life they've lived. But that's not what James is talking about either. What he is talking about is prejudice, which is simply two words thrown together, pre and judicial or judging. So prejudice is pre-judging someone. It's making an assessment before you have any real basis for judgment. Judgment 
on appearances alone. And he's after favoritism, which is simply taking your prejudice and assigning worth or value to it. Favoring the rich over the poor, favoring someone who's white over someone who's black, favoring somebody who's well-dressed over someone who's casually dressed. The concern of James is making judgments among ourselves as to who is of worth and who is not. So why does this matter to James? Why does it matter to him? And in as much, why should it matter to us? In fact, he told us, let's look again at verse 4. He says, when you do this, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? He gives us the answer. He says, it's evil. First, it's evil because it ranks people. That, that's not the way God looks at people. It's not the way God wants his people, how he wants us to look at people. I heard a story of a professor who's a sociology professor at the University of Pennsylvania. And as a Christian, he, he would try to weave Christ into lectures every now and again. And he asked his students, have you ever asked yourselves, what the various leaders of the world throughout history would have thought about a prostitute. He asked about Buddha, and nobody knew. He asked about Muhammad, and nobody knew. And then he said, how many of you ever wondered what Jesus would have said to a prostitute? And there's a student on the front row who answered up and said, well, sir, he never met one. And the professor said, his opportunity for bringing the Bible in the class, said, yes, he did. And I'm going to show you where in the New Testament Jesus met a prostitute. But the student persisted, saying, professor, I don't think you're hearing me. Jesus never met a prostitute. But the professor, not getting it, said, I tell you that he did, and I'm going to show you where it is in the Bible. Finally, the, the student said, Professor, with all due respect, when Jesus met Mary Magdalene, do you think he saw her as a prostitute? Jesus never met a prostitute. He didn't look at people that way. He didn't judge them. And quite frankly, neither should we. Because it's evil to devalue anyone. And James adds something else. He says it's also evil because when we play favorites, when we discriminate, we are setting ourselves up as a judge in place of God who is the only one who has the right to judge anyone. 
And finally, James tells us that it's evil because it's based on evil thoughts. It's giving ourselves over to an evil spirit, to an evil attitude. Discrimination, prejudice, favoritism, it's all evil. Because it's based on a deeply evil mindset that not only ranks people, not only puts ourselves in God's place, but because it also treats people as less than they are. Because every single human being is made in the image of God, which gives each and every human being unlimited worth and value. Anything that doesn't uphold that is evil. And the evil that spreads from that is among some of the most darkest evil moments in this world's history. If you were to go to Johannesburg, South Africa, they have an apartheid museum. And if you go, it's a fascinating experience and quite frankly also a disturbing one because there are two different entrances. And when you buy your ticket, you are arbitrarily assigned to one entrance or the other. One of those entrances is the whites only entrance. And the other is the blacks only entrance. The entire museum experience places you under apartheid to demonstrate just how evil it was. But it's also evil when it shows up in schools as a form of a clique. Who's the cool kids? When it determines who gets the promotion at work. When it drives who's invited to the party. Who gets greeted? Who gets elected? Who gets hired? Who gets sat next to at lunch? Who's welcomed? Who's not welcomed? Who's paid attention to? Whatever it is, James says it's evil and it's not of God. And it has no place in the new community that he has called us into. But James keeps unpacking this. Picking up in verse 5, he says, Listen, my dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you have insulted the poor is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? And they are they not the ones who are slandering you? The noble slandering the noble name of him to whom you belong. See, James wants to keep building his case here. And he does it in two different ways. First, by saying that what we base our favoritism on is not only evil, it's also just not smart. For his example, he uses money. 
Showing favoritism for someone who has it versus someone who doesn't. He says, that's not smart. Because there's nothing in someone having money that should rank them above someone who doesn't have money. In fact, if you look at if you look favorably on someone, James says, look favorably on the poor. Because that's who God looks favorably upon. Not in the sense that God loves wealthy people less, or that wealth is sin or somehow bad. It's actually a good thing if it's properly used. It can be a source of enormous blessing if it's submitted to Jesus. But throughout the Bible, God has a special heart for the poor because in this world, the poor are often the oppressed, the hurting, the ones in need, the ones that are often taken advantage of. So the Bible talks about God being on the side of the poor. So why would you want to put down the very people that God is trying to lift up? Not only are the poor the ones that we should be giving preference to, but if, if we don't get favoritism out of the mix, then we are screwing up the church. In fact, our community won't be any different. Our church won't be any different than what the world has. We'll be just as sick, just as dysfunctional as everyone and everything else that we say we don't want to be like. Then he gives us an example of that dysfunction. He says, in the world, isn't it the rich that are causing so much difficulty for you as Christ followers? So why would you want to favor them? Perhaps a little background is important here. You see, in the early years of the Christian movement, the, the rich were among the leaders that were persecuting the early Christians. The Christian movement was bringing an end to slavery, liberating women, ending child labor, working towards economic justice. So much of the persecution of the church was being instigated by those in power, by those who had a vested interest in keeping things the way that they were. Christianity upending that rich, poor, male, female, Jew, Greek dynamic was what James is talking about here. He wants to get to the very root of what causes favoritism to begin with. So James goes even a little bit deeper, beginning in verse 8, he says, If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. 
If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. See, that's the very heart of it. He's pulling from Jesus here. He says, when Jesus was asked to summarize the entire call of God on a person's life, to give the greatest commandment, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, love God and love people. James says, favoritism isn't loving people. So you're not just being a snob, you're breaking the great commandment. So he brings up the same point that Jesus brought up during the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus went after those who were harboring anger and bitterness and resentment in their hearts but they patted themselves on their back for not murdering someone. Jesus said that kind of anger is of the same spirit as murder. James brings home that very same lesson here. It's no less of an offense in the eyes of God. So he tells us, don't wink at it. Don't play with it. Get it out of your life. Avoid it. Remove yourself from it as much as you would avoid taking up a knife to kill someone or abandoning your marriage vows. See, James knew how subtle this could be, how it can exist quietly in our lives. So he's on a mission to expose and to elevate it everywhere he can. How will own being every other kind of snob but this one? And then, even if we do own it, we will try to downplay it and make it not that big a deal in my life. So let's, let's see where it might be lurking in our lives. How do you treat the wait staff at a restaurant. How do you treat them? Because they're there busting their butt, depending almost entirely upon tips, and then all you do is leave them a tract? They have to deal with a whole lot of ungrateful people. Perhaps you felt that I had the right to treat them that way. Not what James is saying. Do you treat them with dignity? I mean, the waitstaff have to take a lot of crap from customers over bad food that they didn't even cook. They're having to get complaints about slow service that they didn't create, high prices that they didn't set. They're dealing with just us being rude. Because somehow, as customers, we feel like we're in a higher position than they are. And that we can act that way, that we deserve to act that way. So how do you treat the wait staff at a restaurant? And there's also issues 
with class. You, you, have you ever said things like, you couldn't pay me to live there? Can you believe what she's wearing? I'd never buy that brand. See, restaurants are one thing, but, but let's get a little bit more personal. Let's step on some toes. I'm wearing Birkenstocks, so my toes will get stepped on and hurt more than probably any of you. I probably should have worn steel-toed shoes today. See, restaurants are one thing, but do you pride yourself on not being a racist, but then you make a comment like, there goes the neighborhood when someone of another color moves in down the street. Can we call that for what it is? It's racism. Do you pride yourself on not being a racist, but then you look down on interracial marriage? Or would oppose your son or daughter getting into a relationship with somebody of a different race? I know I'm probably making some people uncomfortable this morning, but we need to talk about these things. Because there's nothing in the Bible that will look down on interracial marriage. God is colorblind, and so should we. But perhaps the biggest area of sin, the biggest area is sin itself. Do you ever find yourself saying, I never do that sin? Sure, I, I, I sin, but, but not that one. As if you can extend grace for some sins, but not others. Some are more understandable to you, more forgivable to you, but not those sins. And you look down on people who commit those sins that you consider beneath your sin capability. It isn't about excusing anything. It's about how everything can be forgiven by Jesus. And in a new community, we all stand under the same shower of grace. Which means no sin in anyone's past should form the basis of favoritism or prejudice. Which brings us to James's final point. He says, speak and act for those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. James tells us that favoritism at its very heart is the lack of grace and mercy being extended to others. It's setting yourself up as a judge and dispensing your own justice. If you do that, James says, well, fine then you will be judged the exact same way. And none of us wants that. He says, mercy only flows to those who show mercy. Loving others as we would be loved 
judging others the way we would want to be judged. Because a new faith won't change our life. But a new way of looking at other people's faces will change our life. Heavenly Father, help us. Help us to recognize where we have been snobs, where we have fallen short of reaching people for you. Help us to know that we are no longer slaves to sin. Help us to surrender everything we have to you. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.